Greetings and welcome to my podcast, where we interact with thought leaders to bring you fresh perspectives on leadership and life. Today we're joined by Dov Barron to talk about the power of vulnerability to transform leadership. One of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers to hire, Dov Barron is an international leadership catalyst. He is the leading authority on authentic leadership and leadership succession, or as he prefers to call it, full Monty leadership. The world's only corporate cultural momentum strategist, Dov works with leaders and executive teams to build the bonds that create the corporate cultures that become fiercely loyal. Dov is a best-selling author of several books. His latest book is Fiercely Loyal, How High-Performing Companies Develop and Retain Top Talent. He also writes for and has been featured in many industry magazines, including CNN, CBS Small Business Pulse, SHRM, Yahoo Finance, The Boston Globe, Business in Vancouver, USA Today, CEO, Entrepreneur, and many more. Dov told me that the only rule of interviewing him is to ask anything you want. I love that. (laughs) On that note, let's get started. Welcome to the show, Dob. Thanks, Nate. It's an honor to be here. Appreciate your inviting me, and I'm excited to share with you and your listeners and viewers anything I possibly can that will enrich their, their leadership and their lives. Fantastic. Well, when I first met you, it was during a Skype call we set up to plan for this interview, and I'll have to tell you, I was truly struck by your candor and your friendliness. Immediately, I felt comfortable with you, and I really appreciated your generous spirit. And I'd like my listeners to get to know you as well. So, tell us about your a little about yourself, your company, and what gets you out of bed every day. That's a good question. It's not an alarm clock. I'll tell you that. Uh, as you said, my name is Dov Byrne. My uh, my my main website is fullmontyleadership.com, which is what we speak about. Full Monty Leadership. We'll get into that later. I'm sure. Um, I've been a speaker for 30, 32 years, way too long. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me sound really old. But I've been doing it for 30 odd years. Uh, I've worked with leaders around the world in many different things, from pro athletes to high level entrepreneurs to managers, C suites, and CEOs. And love, love, love what I do. I speak internationally um, in Europe, in uh, the Middle East, in, in North America, of course, and work with companies in helping them develop authentic leadership in their teams based on purpose-driven organizations. And this is what really holds companies together now, is having that purpose-driven organization surrounded by really authentic leaders, not just at the top, but at every possible level. That's what we do. And I also am blessed in that I get to mentor many of those leaders one-on-one. Those are, I'm very picky about who I work with, of course, but I get to pick those clients and work with those and watch them transform everything. Because one of the traps we've got in our heads, particularly those of us who are older, um, is we have a professional self and we have a personal self. And that's nonsense, there's no such thing. You know, you don't take off your brain and put in a new brain when you go to work in the morning. So it's like, well, let's get rid of that. Let's actually come down to the truth of who we are and that's what we help them do. So very often we're working on people's business stuff and they go, wow, you know, I'm getting along so much better with my kids. Yeah, you think? Oh, man. You sound excited about what you do. I am. That Every is fantastic. Day. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, at Next Element, we are passionate about the power of openness to strengthen relationships and create a, a safe place for healthy conflict. But, you know, openness is vulnerable and it's scary. And uh, you've said that nothing develops trust more than vulnerability. Will you share a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you think about it, you you know, you walk into a social event, you meet somebody, and they're friendly, you know, and and maybe they crack a joke with you and you play with you, and you go, hey, I really like them. And, and, and like is something we know intuitively very fast, like within a split second. But trust, that's something else. Trust is something very different. So, in order to ha in order to really understand the power of vulnerability and how it creates trust, is this: I want you in your mind right now to picture one person on this side, another person on that side, two people you've known equal amount of time. On this side is a tr is a fiercely loyal and trusted friend. And on the other side is somebody who is an acquaintance, somebody you've known for just a minute of my time. And I say, what's the difference? Well, you can no longer say time, because that's the one we usually use, because you've known them the same amount of time. So what is it? And people often struggle. I don't know, I just kind of click with that person, but not with this person. Well, actually, the truth of the matter is, and you can think about this right now, as you picture those two people in your mind, the person who is your trusted, fiercely loyal friend, they know your shit, and you know theirs. There's vulnerability involved. The trust came out of the vulnerability. The person over here is an acquaintance has never revealed enough for you for there to be reciprocity in, in, in that uh, vulnerability. So it stopped. The depth of the relationship stopped. The depth of any relationship is based on the vulnerability. Over here, you shared something, they shared something, or they shared and you shared. That reciprocity deepened. So as a result, you know stuff about them. Listen, the person you married is the one who knows all your darkest secrets. If you don't think vulnerability builds trust, you really need to give your head a shake because that is the basis of trust, is actually knowing you can cripple me, you could take me down, and I know you wouldn't because I could do the same to you. Mm. It's, it's brilliant when you grasp it. Vulnerability is, is so powerful. We've been trained that it's a weakness and it's such amazing strength for you as a leader. Well, let's just get personal then. Um, when is a time when you have felt the most vulnerable and what did you do with that? Oh, there's lots. <laughs> I've gone through lots of them. And, and I mean, very seriously felt vulnerable. Because again, we have the two contexts, right? We have the vulnerable as in I, I'm uh, actively choosing to be vulnerable versus being placed in a vulnerable position. So I'm, you know, I'm in this place here. I actively choose to be vulnerable, to put it on the line, and I could lose the contract, or I could lose the business deal, or I could, you know, the, that's different than being feeling vulnerable, meaning suddenly your biggest contract went away, and now you've got half your income's gone, or you you're, you got fired from that job, and now you're worried about paying the rent, or whatever it might be. So those are two different things. But I think that one facilitates the other. So my... Best example of that for me was in June 1990, um, I was free climbing. Now, for people who don't know about that, climbing, mountain climbing is, for many people who don't do that kind of thing, seems kind of crazy, but it's not. You have ropes, you have harnesses, you have safety lines. If you want to make it for the moderately insane, then you've got free climbing, which is no ropes, no, no, no safety hooks, none of those things. All you have is chalk, the right clothing, and the right footwear. If you want to take it from the moderately insane to the downright freaking crazy, then you try and do that soaking wet. And that's what I did. I was a full-blown adrenaline junkie back in those days. I'd been hiking behind a waterfall. I came out soaking wet, and I challenged my buddy to free climb a rock face. At about, now, if you have a problem with heights, you might think about this. Think about being on the sixth floor of a building, going out to the edge of the balcony, 
when there's no railing and looking over the edge. If you've got a problem with heights, your knees are wobbling. If you don't, you're okay, but you're thinking, I don't want to land from there. Now let's take it up a couple of notches. Six, eight, 10, 12 floors. We're at 120 feet looking over that edge. How do you feel? That's how high I was. 120 feet, reached for a rock, dislodged a bigger rock. Bam, hit me in the face and sent me at maximum velocity to smash on the boulders below. Not, not gravel, not grass, not even rocks. Boulders broke me to pieces. Absolute, total, physical vulnerability. The situation created the vulnerability. I'm now vulnerable to everything. And I literally died many times during that process. But that's not the power. The power was, because people, people will say, well, that might, there are two common questions that come up. Number one, what was it like to fall? Don't know. A rock hit me in the face, knocked me unconscious. Second question, universal. How did it change you? What did you learn? Everybody asked me that. Because we all know intuitively, we, we know you can't have an experience like that and still be the same person. Something besides my head got rattled around and you have to, it tears something open besides my face. It tore my, my veneer off, it ripped off all the armor. And, for the, and I will tell you in complete transparency, I was born in a ghetto, I was seen as a tough kid, I boxed, I did martial arts. You know, I, I was a leader in every way, alpha male. I sure as hell was not gonna admit that I needed help. Because like all leaders, we were trained. Don't show your vulnerability, don't let them see a chink in your armor, don't let them in. So for the first nine months, I walked around like, yeah, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm great, I'm coming back. You know what, there is no back. About nine months in, I found myself on my living room floor in the fetal position, weeping weeping, just devastated, and realized that I couldn't do it alone, that I needed help. And I, that, that was the most vulnerable I'd ever been, was to step up and say, I feel like I'm gonna die. Not physically, I've recovered, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and I just was crushed. And I had to start reaching out and asking for that help. But you know, the mo so here's this guy, this alpha male who's, you know, they're, Nobody can knock him down, suddenly steps up, and I go to people who have seen themselves as less than I am, and I say, I need your help. Guess what? Nobody laughed at me. Nobody ridiculed me. Everybody rallied around. Everybody rallied around. How can I help you? How can I serve you? What can I do for you? You know, we've got to grasp that the, when you open up to vulnerability, it, it doesn't make you weaker. It makes you stronger. It surrounds you with the most powerful people because no one does it alone. And we as stupid leaders have been trained to think you can do it alone. It's not possible. The self-made man slash woman is a myth. It's a unicorn. It doesn't exist. Real leaders have a support team. And that only happens through trust. And trust only happens through vulnerability. Mm. Thank you for that story. Wow. I'm, I'm struck listening to that, that it actually wasn't the experience of the fall or, or how it damaged you. That's not actually what made you vulnerable. You had to submit to it. You had to become open and had to accept your imperfection, your weakness, and ask for help. And that was the real vulnerable thing. You know, you, you're absolutely right, Nate. And this is why I want people to get this. This is why this is a very important part of my work, is because we all think this thing must have changed you. We get that. But that's not where things change. Because human beings, let me tell you, 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 one of our greatest assets of human beings is that we are adaptable. We live in the Sahara Desert and we live in the North Pole. That's yeah. pretty adaptable. 
But that's also our greatest curse. Because when shit happens, like you fall off a mountain, you get smashed up, you go, okay, and you, you go, okay, it's got to change, and you realize that. But that's not where change takes place mm. because we're adaptable. We normalize. And once we normalize, yeah, you know, I think I was a bit overreactive. It was a bit, I'm good now. And yes, I'm a workaholic again. And yes, I'm doing all the kind of self-destructive things I'm doing. But that was just an event. Let me just talk to you personally as you listen to this. That's not a one-off. Once that part of you has been awoken, it will not go back to sleep. That whisper will get louder. What I didn't tell you was that was not my first fall. I fell 12 feet, I fell 16 feet, and I fell 70 feet off Bluff Knoll in Western Australia. 120 feet in British Columbia was my fourth fall. It had to be big enough for me to shut up and listen to my own soul and be broken open enough to ask for help. Khalil Gibran says, your pain is the cracking of the shell of your understanding. Mm. My shell got shattered, and as a result, I had to understand differently. Vulnerability is power. So I wonder, I wonder if the message here is that life will keep giving us opportunities until we make the choice. And yeah, yeah. wow. Absolutely. But to stop, you see, to stop adapting, this is so dangerous. We go, well, I'll just adapt. Don't adapt. Let me give you, can, can I give you my definition of abundance? Yeah. But first, let me ask you yours. Is that okay? Definition of abundance. Abundance. Wow. I've never been asked that, but I sure use that word a lot. Sure. And most, it's huh. a modern word in the lexicon of language now. Everybody talks about abundance. But I'm fascinated by, well, what is abundance? Man, I guess I would say enough to go around or not accepting limits. Huh. What's so yours? It's interesting because it's a subjective meaning and people will often go to different places. But the general consensus of abundance is more than I need. Right? It's getting more than I need. Not my not my interpretation of abundance at all. My interpretation of abundance is letting go so that I can accept different and more. Mm. You, you can't add to what's already full. And if you're already full with fear and anxiety and all the other things, and you're accumulating money to try and waylay all that, there is no room for real abundance. So what has to happen? In abundance, you have to go through the fall. That's what I went through, that place of letting go. Listen, the day I fell, I was the most successful I'd ever been. I was traveling all over, I was speaking all over the world, I had a beautiful house, nice car, all the, all the goodies, and it was all gone in a flash. Mm. I mean, I burned through all my savings and everything. I was on, I was on welfare for being, uh, what was the word? The word isn't, uh, you know, it's for being physically ill, right? Yeah, yeah. My, my, I was living in a, in, a, in a rented place. My rent was 800 bucks. And my welfare, my disability welfare, that's the word, was 475 bucks. Wow. So my rent was almost double what I was getting. I had to let everything go in order to create that flow of abundance. So you cannot get to great while you're holding on to good. Remember that. And you can only get to that greatness by letting go of good. What does that mean? You've got to be vulnerable. But we're all going, oh, no, i got to protect yeah. myself. i got to do this. You've got to let go. Give us that definition of abundance one more time. I'd love to hear that again. Definition of abundance is not accumulating more, but letting go of what is good in order to make room for what is great and different. Mm. Wow. Thank you. 
you know this this notion of trust is we ask we ask all our clients what do you mean by trust and it seems like there are kind of two two ways to define it and and one of them is usually by the high-level leaders and they say trust is basically hey can I count on you are you gonna do what you said are you gonna finish on time and it's all about behavior 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 and adapting but then there's a group of people that say trust means am I safe with you and I and I'm curious these are two very different experiences of what trust means what where do you fall on that um, for me they're not different they're the same hmm? for me they're not different they're the same so what does it mean is if we go into the first category what you're talking about is integrity can I have in can I trust that you'll have integrity with what you say and that you'll do it and the answer is of course yes they'll always, everybody will always say yes however how can I make it so that you do that I have to create safety now what is safety now we're in a whole different category what is safety well again safety is this business today is built on innovation we all understand that. It's in everybody's mission statement now. No, we're going to be the most innovative in the industry. It's for all nonsense, because most people don't even understand what innovation is. But if you want to understand what innovation is, it's very simple. It's the ability to fail and not be ridiculed for it. So if you want trust, you have to, you've got to have a place that is emotionally safe. Mm. So you want real trust, you've got to create emotional safety. I can screw up and not get punished for it. Be called to, into accountability, that's different. But not be punished for it, because if I can do that, then I can say, yes, I will do this. You have my integrity, because I'm willing to fail and be, and be accountable to the failings, which is, the, which is the, the, uh, the boundaries, to show me where the accountability is so that I can move towards the end target that you're asking me to move to. So they go, they lockstep perfectly. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's not one or the other. Yeah. Well, you bring a you bring a lot of these together in your full Monty leadership. Um, yes. Tell us about this because when I think about full Monty, I think about taking all my clothes off in front of people. <laughs> Wasn't there a movie by that name? There was indeed. Yeah, <laughs> it was called Full Monty. And and for those who didn't see it, Full Monty was about a bunch of guys who were competing with a Chippendales type group. And these guys were up in Northern England, they were unemployed, they had no money, and meanwhile the, the, the strippers come to town and all the women flood there and pay the money to see these guys. <laughs> and they, you know, they're young and they're hot and they've got the abs and all the rest of it. And these guys are all midlife guys and they're in terrible shape, but they decide that they're going to be strippers and of course nobody shows up. Because the rule is that you can't take everything off and the, the, the Chippendale guys go down to their underwear but nothing else. These guys go, well, the only way to make a difference is to go all in, to go determine Or all out, maybe. Yeah, it's to go full multi, <laughs> strip it all off. And they strip it all off and they become hugely popular and they change everything. And it's a wonderful metaphor because so many leaders are not willing to take off the armor, to take off the suit, to take off the tie, to take off the veneer, the, the title. And what we suggest is, and we see is, that when you do, your people go all in. They buy in. They go, okay, I'm in. And you've yeah. got to get that investment from them. But you can't get people to invest if you don't invest. You can't tell me, oh, invest in my startup. And I go, okay, well, what have you invested? Nothing. I got it on paper. Mm. Have you done a business plan? No. Have you invested any time? No. Have you invested any work? Did you raise money yourself? No. I'm not coming in. Mm. You've got to get them to. So 
remember that it has to be reciprocal, but it's got to start with you. It's got to start with you. Nobody changes the oil in a rental car. Mm. You got to buy in to change the oil. So, I was thinking a, a CEO I was working with. She was she had built her whole career being the tough, playing in a man's world, doing all this stuff, and she felt like there was something missing. And what she finally realized is, you know, nobody knows anything about me that is actually matters or is personal. And she told me the story of one day deciding to just share with one of her reports that she had an adopted son. And it, it was something she thinks about a lot. And she said her street cred went through the roof when she started sharing with people the full Monty of things that she so, thought people would disrespect or ridicule about her. You know, and, and I would ask you this, and you may not know, but I wonder how old that other person was on the other side. Mm, I don't know. Right, see, because this is what's really interesting. It's one of the things I love about millennials. Millennials are baby boomers with balls. That's all I describe. <laughs> love Because right? as baby boomers, you know, I, you were, I, I don't know how old you are, but I think you're younger than I am. But I'm the young end of baby boomer. And I remember that the older baby boomers who were 10 years older than me mm. were hippies and they were, they were never going to work for the man. They were never going to work with right. them. Now they are the man, right? Well, yeah. the millennials are smart enough that they're saying, I'm not going to work for the men because they have the internet, they have the world at their feet, they can do, they can start business anywhere. And they, you know, we as boomers say, I want to keep you on as, as a millennial, you're a good worker, you're great. So here's a rise. They don't care about the raise. They want to do meaningful work. And what is meaningful work? Meaningful work is purpose-driven, which is what we do, is bring into the purpose, purpose-driven. But it also means I'm emotionally connected to the person who's leading me. I can't emotionally connect to a title. But if you say, you know, I've got this adopted son, it was a struggle, I went through this, and oh, your humanity is what bonds us. Mm. Um, and as older leaders, we forget this. Listen. 38% of the workforce today is already millennial. It'll be 50% within two years. 10,000 baby boomers a day leaving the workforce. And you go, well, I don't want to bother with millennials. Well, then you best either retire or <laughs> find yourself a nice shopping cart yeah. to hang out in the back streets with because you're going out of business. Yeah. And they want that connection. That bond is powerful. Yeah. Oh, man. We can't. We just can't expect that they should be grateful to have a job and just have some some mythical work ethic, and and not be connected to anybody. Well, this is the whole thing you were saying about trust. You know, uh, trust and loyalty. As you know, my last book, right, was fiercely loyal. Here, and it was yeah, written about the leading, cover there. Yeah, leading millennials. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and if you want loyalty, give it. Yeah. If you want trust, give it. You got to step up first. Well, I—that is a fantastic segue for a question we get all the time. This notion of if you want trust, give it. When when we ask people, well, what would it take for you to trust somebody? They go on and on and on about all the things that other person would have to do first. Like I'll trust you once you do this or you prove this. What I hear you saying is it actually doesn't start with them at all. If it starts with them, you're not trusting at all. Uh -huh. So and so, let me really clarify that for people. If you say. In order for me to trust they have to do X, Y, and Z, you are entering into every relationship from a place of mistrust. That's the way you got to get. So I'm willing to enter every relationship from a place of trust. 
What does that mean? I will be vulnerable with you. Mm. I will show you something of me. <clears throat> now, I'm not an idiot. I'm going to pay attention. Is the reciprocity here? Mm. Are you also willing? Now, you may not be as open as me. I don't measure you by my, my yardstick. What is, what is, what is <clears throat> uh, an inch for me might be 10 miles for you. Yeah. The same, okay, so I'm going to pay attention for that and go, okay, I can see that what you delivered there was not particularly big or revealing, but for you it was, it was excruciating. I recognize that. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's reciprocity. So I'm willing to trust you by starting in understanding the responsibilities on my end first. Mm. Let me reveal me to you. Then we'll see. What, what do you make? You know, it seems so often that we, we may take the first step and maybe we'll disclose something or share with something and then we get worried. What if they misuse it? What if they don't like what I said? What if they reject me? And it's as if we're giving the other person all of the power to determine whether we're okay or not. Like, okay, what if they do do that? I'm still okay. And I'm, I'm curious how much of this trust starts with trusting first that I'm okay regardless of how you respond to me or what you do with what I said. Nate, you're a rock star, buddy. You're a rock star. You get it. So this is, you know, again, in my, in my work I say, you know, you, we've all been trained about hard skills, how important hard skills are, but soft skills are the most important, first and foremost. And I'll tell you why. Because soft skills start with you. It's self-knowledge. And you've got to know that if I'm going to show up and I'm going to be vulnerable, somebody's going to stab me in the ass. It's, I expect that. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to find a way to twist it or do something with it, and I'm willing to do that. However, I got to know where I'm coming from. So in, 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 in the way we operate, particularly as leaders, <clears throat> we judge people by their behavior. And that's somewhat appropriate. Yet, when we screw up, we judge ourselves by intent. Mm. Well, I didn't mean to hurt you. <laughs> uh, but your behavior did. And wouldn't you judge me on that? So instead, So flip the tables on yourself for a while. Judge yourself by your behavior and not your intent, and judge everybody else by their intent, not their behavior. It will soften you immensely. It will teach you a level of compassion and empathy you've never even considered before. And what's more, is it will blow your mind at how rare it is for, for anybody to come after you. I don't know anybody who's more vulnerable than I am, and I speak on stage, and I do all those things, and everybody who knows me says, you know, that one of the things they love is, same guy on stage as off stage. That's a rarity in, speak, in the speaker world. Yeah, You're gonna get the same vulnerability. I'll share with you my own struggles. I, I, I understand that you, what, nobody does it on their own. We, we've gotta grasp this. And so, yeah, you could use it against me, but I've gotta know. I've gotta know, where am I coming from? You're pissed at me, you're hurt, you're offended, you're whatever it is. Where am I coming from? I gotta know that. And I'm willing to apologize if I hurt you because I'm human and I might do that. Yeah. I'm accountable to that. But you've gotta be, you know, like you said, you're a rock star because you get it. You, it's gotta come with you first. And if you don't trust you, there's no way in the world you can trust anybody else. Well, that is, that is profound. And I think it bears repeating because this is a specific strategy that my listeners can use is, is, judge yourself based on your behaviors and judge others based on their intentions, which is complete opposite of what we're used to. Absolutely. Because wow. it's really easy to get off the hook if yeah. you judge yourself by, by intent. And wow. it's really easy to make these cold decisions if you judge people by behavior. 
And when I get this from a CEO, well, you know, we're blah, 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 and they're arguing for behavior over intent. And I go, okay. So let me ask you, are you going to chuck the wife out or your husband out? Yeah. Because I'm sure I know my wife has done some crappy behaviors. I know I've done way more, but, you know, yeah. we're not going to throw that person out. I have to be willing to say, well, what is the intent? So I will sit down as you would if you have a small child. You'd say, Johnny, that was a terrible behavior. What were you thinking? What was going on? Why did you do that? What was underneath that? What, why? Well, I was mad. Okay, what were you mad at? I was mad at Susie. Oh, so now how does it feel to be mad? What, you bother. You actually invest. Mm. If you're not investing in your people, you can't expect anything decent back. Right. So you're going to get crappy behavior. Be willing to find out who they are. You want to get people to really be with you? See them. Mm. Take the time to actually see people. The greatest thing, my, a friend of mine, um, Isaac Amil, wrote a book called The Attention Switch, and he says, it talks about how we're always trying to get attention. He says, but so few of us give attention. Right. It's a right. gift. You give it. When you give that attention to somebody else, they, they'll, they'll be with you for life. So on, this, so on this topic of trust, I'm curious, what do you say to the person? What do you say about this philosophy? Trust takes years to build and seconds to destroy. <clears throat> Here's what particularly bothers me about it. I'll just be honest about my intention. Is sure. how how can it it seems hypocritical to me that we would we would expect somebody to spend so long working to be trustworthy to us and then we would give up on them so fast when they make a mistake. What do you say about that philosophy? Uh, I think it sucks. <laughs> and the reason I think it sucks is very simple. Because as I said, it's 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 starting out with the presumption that I can't trust you. Mm. That's why it's, that's why it's a it's it's a totally disempowering place to start. Yeah. I want to start with the place that I'm trusting you. And and if you break that trust, we're not done. Mm. I just need to understand why you broke the trust first. Right. Now, if I find the intent and I find that you're actually uh, kind of a vengeful, nasty person, well, okay, then the trust is gone, the relationship is gone. It's not actually a trust is gone, it's just, it's purely and simply my discernment to go, that's not what I want in my life. It's not about trusting you, not trusting you, it's the boundaries of self-discernment and going, I don't want that in my life. If you say it takes years to build trust and moments to take it away, you don't trust. You're not willing to trust. So the question is, are you willing to trust? Not do you trust, not what does it take to trust. Are you willing to trust? Because true vulnerability, you know, my wife and I used to teach a relationship program. And I said, if you really want to understand what a powerful marriage is, and, I'm, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, but I'm going to be graphic. So if you want to really understand what it is, I said, I'll tell you what real depth of relationship and connection in a, in a, in a marriage of any kind, whatever your particular version of that is, not necessarily a ceremony, but it's this. It's a man standing in front of his partner with no pants on while the partner and legs apart while the partner stands there with jackboots on. It's trusting. It's knowing that you can be kicked in the nuts at any moment and trusting that you won't be. That yeah. is what it takes. It's willing, I'm going to put it all out there, my most sensitive parts, knowing that you could crush me but trusting that you won't. Mm. Why? Because I know on the other side, you also have no pants on, and I'm wearing jack boots. Mm. Right. Wow. Well, I'm uh, I, I'm thinking of the word compassion that that 
we're a fan of at Next Element, and we're really a fan of the, oh, if you go back to the original root of the word, compassion means to struggle with, to suffer yes. alongside. It doesn't mean to struggle against or instead of. It means we're both working at this. And it sounds like that's that's a lot what trust is. It's not a one-sided thing. We're each working at it all the time. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, I talk a lot about compassionate leadership and the importance of compassionate leadership. Yeah. And and for me, my my, I've read all kinds of definitions, and certainly the root of it, as yeah, you yeah. said, was struggle with. But I like the Dalai Lama's version. I'm a big fan of the Dalai Lama, and the Dalai Lama said empathy is that I walk through the forest and I see a man with a rock on his chest, and I lie beside him and I can feel as if the rock is on my chest. Compassion is I feel the rock on my chest. And I ask him how I can help him get it off his. Empathy is passive. Compassion is active. Mm. I am willing to assist you. But mm. I have to ask your permission because I'm not here to save you. Right. That's right. not my job. Wow. But I'm willing to assist you. That's compassion. I have to feel it first and then I ask for your permission. Mm. Well, I'd love to go a lot further down this path with you. And I, there's a couple other questions I, I'm thinking my listeners might be interested in. Absolutely. Um, Dov, who, share with us a hero or a mentor of yours and why why they inspire you. I have lots of mentors. I always have a mentor. Any given time, I have mentors in different areas of my life. I'm a mentor myself, and I say to people all the time, if you don't have a mentor, you're missing out because you'll never have the perspective. It's different than a coach, vastly different than a therapist or a coach. Mm. It's different again. So. Yes, I always have mentors. I've had many all my life. The people, you know, some of my mentors have been physical world people that I pay a monthly fee to, etc. But I've also been mentored by people I've never met. I'm mentored by the behaviors and the philosophies of people. I would say I've been mentored by Oprah, although I've never met her. But I would say that uh, my one of my greatest teachers is Khalil Gibran. For those of you who don't know, uh, go out, buy the book, The Prophet. It is one of my Bibles. I describe it as a Bible because I carry it with me a lot of the time. I read it multiple times a year, and I've given more copies away of it than I can possibly imagine. Um, because it's a simple little book that brings me back to my truths, not the truth, small t, my truth. Hmm. What brings me home and makes me centered. So that, he has been m very much one of my lifelong mentors um, and, a, and a hero for me uh, I'll tell you a quick story one of my heroes is also my anti-hero Nelson Mandela he is both see most people don't know the story of Mandela they know what the media shows them but Mandela was a terrorist people don't know that Mandela was a terrorist he did terrorist acts. He blew shit up. He did a lot of things that today would have him shipped off to Guantanamo, right? And he was, without doubt, a terrorist. He went to Robben Island, and he transformed himself. That makes him a hero. He transformed from extreme violence to extreme peace. I don't know, I don't know that if I spent, with all my training and all my spiritual and mental and emotional work, I don't know that I could spend 20-odd years in on a mm. Robben Island and come out and shake the hand of the guy who put me in there and say, yes, let's rebuild this country. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that I'd be big enough for that. I am in awe of that. I, I'm amazing. 
But where is Mandela my anti-hero? Not in his terrorism. I get that. I actually understand that feeling so repressed that you've got to do something. I get that. Where is he my anti-hero? Because you, as you watch this right now, if you're in a leadership position and you're not mentoring others and you're not guiding others, when you die, your leadership will die with you. And where Mandela fell down desperately is there was no legacy. Mm -hmm. The leadership of South Africa has gone down the toilet since Mandela was gone because he did not create a legacy of his leadership. And that is really sad. The guy who followed him was a drunk, and the guy who's in power now, Zuma, is creating anti-apartheid, it's, it's reverse apartheid rather, not anti, but reverse, and it's causing all kinds of problems because that legacy piece wasn't there. Mm. And if you are a leader, I beg you, I plead with you, as a mentor, it's part of the work I do, is how are you creating your legacy? Your legacy is not the insurance policy for your kids or even that they get an education. The legacy is how do you move the leadership so that when you're gone, you could be forgotten, but what you taught, what you led, will never mm. change, never be forgotten. It will always imbue the world with something magnificent. Well, speaking of trust, speaking of legacies, and speaking of leadership, uh, do you want to say anything about what's going on in America right now? Just <laughs> <laughs> so you could ask me anything, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, everybody's watching. I, I came back from England last week. I left for England the day after the inauguration, and so people were very curious. Everybody's watching us. What do you have to say? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, that my <clears throat> the person I trust most in the world is my wife. And my wife said to me, you know, she's my wife is, is of color. She's not a white woman. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we, we don't live in the United States. We live in Canada, but I speak a lot about American politics. I've been following American politics since right. I was a kid. And, uh, and my wife's like, I am so glad we didn't move there because I would be really nervous because she's a brown lady. People speak to her in Spanish, but she could easily be confused for a Middle Eastern person. And she said it would just be too much. And, and she said, what do you think? And I said, i got to tell you that I am optimistic. She goes, how can you be optimistic? I said, let me rephrase it. I'm choosing to be optimistic. <clears throat> she says, how can you do that? I said, there are certain things that he's doing that I agree with. Ending the TPP, great move. We have to look after homeland business and make it grow. Uh, pushing companies that are looking to move outside of the country and keeping them in, great thing. I grew up in the UK as a kid. I lived there till I was 21. And I remember Harold Wilson before Margaret Thatcher. And I remember the taxes being so high that the wealthy literally got up and left the country. <clears throat> I don't want to see that happen to America. So I want to keep the money in the country and keep it growing. Yes, so I'm in favor of that. Women's rights, oh my God, I want to pull my hair out. Um, what's happening with the, who is being uh, put into roles? The cabinet scares the hell out of me. The Muslim thing, the Mexican thing, it's very scary. But you know, there's an interesting thing about it. I want to show everybody the other side of this. Because I had a conversation with, with one of my clients this morning who's a feminist. And I said, the greatest thing that ever happened to feminism is Donald J. Trump. He's a unifying force. I said, I said, let's just go back one year, one year, just a year, and call for women to march in every major city of the world, not just the United States, not just march on Washington, but of the world wearing pink hats. How many of them are going to show up? You might be able to get 10,000 across the world, 
but you get 10,000 in every city, 15,000, 50,000, my goodness. He's a unifying force because we, again, we're back at that place where change, we think it should take place, the inauguration, oh, we need change, that's why people voted. People mistakenly think that everybody who voted for Trump was a racist, that's a silly, naive understanding. Many of the people who voted for Trump voted for Obama, so they're not racist. They're people who wanted change. The change they're getting might not be what they planned on, but they wanted change, and they believe an outsider will do that. Okay, I'm with you. I understand. I want to get outside of the swamp too. Mm. But grasp this, that you have got to take accountability for the change being on you as a leader. What do I mean as a leader? I mean as a parent, as a teacher, as a business person, as an entrepreneur. We drive change, not governments. We drive change. And now because of this, that is being pushed back into the hands of the people, and I love that. That's what I'm optimistic about. I love that the women are saying no. Men are standing with women and saying, I will not have my daughter grow up in these worlds. I will not have my sisters, my mother, my, my wife be a part of this. I love that the gay community are coming together. I love, so it's a, it's a yes, it's, a, it's created a very um, polarized country, but it's become a unification of many people who, are, who because we are, at, at best, most of the time, we're pretty lazy. We like to bitch, moan, and complain, but not do much. Mm. And you need a polarizing figure to make people go, okay, enough, fantastic. Thank you for that optimistic and uh, what a hopeful, what a hopeful message. And, uh, you know, as we move towards, towards the downward stretch of our time together, Maybe this is a good time to hear from you. What are some practical strategies and things that every one of us can do to take personal responsibility for improving our leadership, for building trust, being trusting, and being more authentic? What would you recommend that we could go out and do right after we uh, hang up the phone? That's great. Thank you. So the first strategy I want to give you is, is to actually, I want to give you an exercise. I want you to write down on a piece of paper, do I trust or do I mistrust? Ask yourself that question by looking at the intent. So what is my intent? When I interact with somebody, what is my intent? Is my intent to find out if I can trust them or is my intent to trust them and discover whether they are trustworthy? That's number one. Do that with yourself first. Second thing, you wanna be a great leader? You gotta find out about your people. In my book, in this book, one of the things I said was, is an example in a story of a company in Seattle who decided, because they were in Seattle, that they were going to reward their top people with season tickets to the Seahawks. And two of the guys are out in the, in the bar <clears throat> afterwards, and one of them is watching the game over the shoulder of the other guy. And they say, and isn't it great? we got tickets to the Seahawks. This is fantastic, isn't it? <clears throat> the other guy's like, yeah, it's good. And meanwhile, the guy is saying, yeah, it's good, is looking for another job. Because nobody bothered to find out whether he even likes football. Mm. It was just an assumption. Get to know your people. Get to know everything you possibly can about them. Get to know them at a personal level. But remember, vulnerability starts with you. You want to be a better leader? Reveal something about yourself. Tell them something. And you can do it incrementally. It doesn't have to be, you know, it's not about uh, vomiting your emotional thing on somebody. Do it incrementally. But don't do it incrementally over 10 years. Do it incrementally over a couple of months. Get to know somebody. Find out about them. Find out what drives them. Next thing I want to get you to do is ask this question. Very question that Nate asked me at the beginning of the show. 
what gets you out of bed in the morning? Don't flavor it. Just ask that question. What gets you out of bed in the morning? I'll say, what do you mean? What gets you out of bed? What is it that fires you up in the morning? If that person can't ask that, can't answer that, the problem is with you, not them. If you're their leader, the problem is with you, not them. You have not communicated the purpose of your organization well enough for it to get them out of bed. If you have communicated that, there'll be an alignment in what they say between your what they say and the purpose of your organization. Next thing I want to give you for you, practical step, next strategy is this. Tough question. What is the purpose of your organization? Didn't ask you the mission statement. That's some crap that they, somebody came up with to because it was supposed to be good and it looked good on a wall or in a pamphlet. That's not what I'm talking about. What is the purpose of your organization? As you listen, watch right now, I want to ask you, what is your purpose? You say, well, the purpose is for us to make money. Of course, it's a foregone conclusion. You're in business. But that's not the real purpose. What is the real purpose? What, and so I'm going to put this in a very, very woo language. What does your business heal in you? What does it bring to you that you've always wanted? If you can look at that, you'll actually see that the reason you're in business is to give people the thing you want most. And if you operate from that place, you will always be of service, not only to your business, not only to your employees, but to the planet. Mm. Thank you. Wow. So before we uh, before we wrap up, I'm curious is there is there a question that you wish I'd have asked that you would love to answer? <laughs> um, <clears throat> is there a question? No, uh, no. You could because I said you can ask me anything. So yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've been asked recently is uh, why am I going to go speak in Iran? Because <laughs> I'm going to be speaking in Iran soon, and that's a question that that seems to be quite befuddling for people and my answer to it is very simple um, have you ever met a Persian person and most people will say yes I go then there's your answer most of them are very decent uh, people I'm going to speak at the world business uh, world management conference it's the ninth one I'm speaking at that any around and you get to understand that people are people are people business is business is business and what you've got it's about the humanity please understand that it's about humanity so be a compassionate leader. Lead with vulnerability. Understand that it's reciprocal, but you have to lead. Have compassion. Compassion is active, not mm. passive. But you've got to know the purpose of yourself as a human being and the purpose of your organization. So the question is, what's your purpose, Dove? And my purpose is to facilitate the purpose of others so that they can lead deeply fulfilling and successful lives. Wow. Thank you. Well, thank you. I am so grateful for, for getting to know you. I'm grateful for what you shared. And, uh, I want to, on behalf of all the listeners, thank you for sharing your energy, your wisdom, and your incredible enthusiasm with us. Uh, will you share again with the audience, how can they connect with you and how can they learn more about what you do? Thanks. And I appreciate you asking. You can, my main website is fullmontyleadership.com, like the movie, fullmontyleadership.com. There you can find access to my blogs and a bunch of uh, all kinds of great resources for you. You can find me, of course, on Twitter at the Dove Baron, on LinkedIn, Dove Baron, on Facebook, Dove Baron Leadership, on YouTube, Dove Baron Full Monty Leadership. So we're in all those places. And as Nate said, I write for Entrepreneur and a bunch of nine other outlets, I think it is. So if you just simply search Dove Baron in, in Google in quotes, 
And also, um, I speak internationally, so if you're interested in any of those things, there's a page on the website to find out about that. And you know what? It's I'm going to be really – if you want to reach out to me, you want to connect with me, this is my private email, dov at dovbaron.com, D-O-V at D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. And I'll tell you what, why don't you write to me and Nate and tell us what you got out of this? Because, listen, information is worth the whole in the donut. Transformation comes from application. So we want to hear from you. What did you get out of this? Nate puts all this time and energy and effort into bringing on great guests for you to give you the gifts that they bring you. And he brings in phenomenal guests for you who all volunteer their time to give you what that we're giving you. If you're not going to use it, well, why are we wasting our time? Why is Nate doing all the time and the energy he does to serve you? So let's hear from you. Let's find out what you're doing to support this, what you're doing to put it in action. And please go to go to iTunes, go to, to Nate's website, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great show. He's doing great work. Make the difference. Spread the love and share the wealth. We're going to give people opportunities to do that and include uh, your contact information in the transcript. Dov, thanks again, and thanks to all my listeners who listen, download, and share these podcasts. And as always, if you know someone who you think should be on here, let me know. And meanwhile, here's wishing you a fantastic day. Bye-bye, Dov. Thank you, sir.